church family. Wow, that's loud, but that's okay. Good morning. Good morning. If you want to, if you guys want to grab a seat, that would be awesome. It is good to see everybody here this morning. Do you guys notice this glass jar up here? Anybody, you can see it just left of me. Just so you know, it's not that we're doing a church-wide raffle, but you've heard of the 99 and the 1. Well, uh, evangelism influence leader Arpith is leading us in a campaign of 505. He's going to say more about that at the end of the service. He mentioned it last week, but basically through our outreach efforts, both formally and just the stuff that happens hopefully in everyday life, life for us, we will have as a church family 500 gospel conversations over the next few months with the aim of seeing five people come to faith and baptize. But I like the 500 because um, faithfulness belongs to us and fruitfulness to the Lord, right? So the Lord, he's the one that does the heavy lifting. He's the one that opens the hearts. Our job is simply to be faithful. So super pumped for that. We have a few very special announcements along those lines at the end of the service. If you would not mind, if you're able, standing to your feet, I would like to read the, the text for today from Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. In the worship guide I sent out yesterday morning, I invite you to read this text and then to reflect on some ways that we might, in fact, see demonic activity today. And I will say this is probably going to be a little bit of a heavier message. The Word of God itself has a, has a, a weight to it, but I think this message, given all that's been happening, is going to be particularly weighty. We need the Lord's help. So let's read this text together, and then let's pray. Matthew chapter 8, as we continue in our Gospel of Matthew series, The King, Verse 28 reads, and when he came to the other side, that's Jesus coming to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, which was a Gentile area, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they, the demon-possessed men, cried out, and specifically the demons in them, Question one, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? Question two, have you come here to torment us before the time? And then Matthew tells us, a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, question three, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. Really a request. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, go. So they... The demons came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave the region. So reads the words of the living God. Let's pray. Father, I am acutely aware this morning of our need for your spirit to move in our hearts 
that we might receive the truth of this text, what it means and how it applies. I think there's an enemy who doesn't want that to happen. I think of the parable of the soils represented as hearts. I pray that there would not be hard hearts here that would just, the seed would just bounce off, never even land. I pray against busy hearts who are just going to be spinning in their heads, what's next today? That's, there could be demonic influence behind that, perhaps. I pray against the one who is so choked with worry that they can't even hear about the one who came to rescue them from the worry. I pray that you would just create lavish, peat moss kind of soil in our hearts. That this word would sink deep and grow something rich for your glory in our life. I ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may grab a seat. Evil is real. And by evil, I mean demonic activity, satanic activity that seeks to energize human sin to take it to darker and deeper and more depraved levels. Let me repeat that. By evil, I mean satanic and demonic activity that seeks to energize human sin in order to take it to deeper and darker and more depraved levels. I have no doubt that demonic powers leverage Dylan Roof's ethnic hostility, racism, against African Americans as he killed nine black congregants at the Emanuel AME Church in Charleston back in 2015. No doubt about that. I have no doubt that demonic powers leverage Audrey Hale's hatred of Christian teaching on God's divine gender design and those who would teach that as she killed just not many weeks ago six Christians at the Christ Covenant School in Nashville. Demonic activity is real. And by, by the way, what's interesting, just as a quick aside, it's not insignificant that the press will tell you a whole lot about the writings or manifesto of the first illustration I gave you, Ruth, and not the second, Hales. Know that there are powers out there that want to shape how you think about things. That's why the scripture must always be our filter. Amen? Well, in our arrogance, I think, maybe as an Americans, maybe as people of the West, we tend to diminish, I think, especially in the Reformed community, the idea of demonic oppression and demonic possession as, as stuff that happens, you know, in, in more primitive places, but certainly not a place like ours. There's two ditches we ought to avoid when it comes to thinking about maybe levels of demonic activity. Ditch one would be blaming everything on Satan. It's a way of ducking ownership, right? That there's a demon behind every rock. And if that's you, you would do well to have the theological wisdom and maturity of a young 
girl who had a bad fight with her brother. And her mother said to her, Oh, sweetheart, why did you let the devil put it in your heart to pull your brother's hair? To which she responded, Well, the devil may have put it in my heart to pull his hair, but it was all on me to punch him squarely in the nose. There's plenty of evil in ourselves, right? Because we all are born in sin. However, there is a real enemy who does want to fuel deeper and darker expressions of our sinfulness. So the other ditch to avoid is actually thinking that he doesn't exist, or if he does exist, he's not really in day-to-day activity like he might be perhaps in other places. There is a book called Lord Falgren's Letters. It's along the genre of screw tape letters. Have you, have you read Lord Falgren's Letters? Really, really good. It's, it's basically, it's fiction, but uh, the storyline is there is a senior demon in the fallen angelic realm counseling a subordinate demon uh, how, to, how to try to destroy a man and his family. It's a very compelling book. And one of the things that they play on is that those, they call us dirtbags, image bearers, uh, is those dirtbags don't even believe that we're real. If you've read the book, you remember that. Well, I just think that we maybe lean in that direction, right? We don't really think of demonic activity as being something that would really touch our lives or touch our community. And I just think that we would do really well to rethink that, okay? On the basis of Ephesians 6.18, I'm sure many of you could quote that. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. How about that? On the basis of that, we ought to rethink the proposition that, no, that doesn't really happen today, here. Or how about 1 Peter, is it chapter 5, verse 8? Be careful, be watchful. For your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There's another reason, but to that I will come to in just a few minutes, that we ought to rethink this idea that it doesn't really happen here like those other primitive places. Now the cool thing is, once we square up with the reality that demonic activity is a real deal thing, the good news is that Jesus Christ as our text is going to put on blast, has the power to destroy demonic powers. That Jesus Christ destroys demonic dominion. He destroys demonic dominion. So that's where we're going to go this morning. We're just going to walk the text and see what that means for us today, all right? So verse 28, there's first of all a confrontation that's brewing. Now if you are here last week, you remember verse 18 of the same chapter, Jesus tells his disciples to follow him into the boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Remember that? And he did so, obviously, as the Son of God, knowing what would happen next. Remember that? Therefore, he quite intentionally led them into a storm. And I made the case last week that following Jesus means you will face storms that you would not otherwise face were you not following him. Remember that? But remember, he knows what's going to happen, and now he's leading them to observe a confrontation that he is going to have with two demon-possessed men. Let's read again verse 
28. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass their way. So, doesn't sound like a KOA campground. They're hanging out in the tombstones. They're hanging out in that area. Kind of eerie in itself. And it doesn't seem that these two men are just uh, lumbering or just kind of how they walk. Can anybody here walk like they walk in The Walking Dead? You know, they're not real fast, right? It seems that these demons, because there's only two of them, have a measure of agility about them because only two of them are enough to be so fierce that no one walks in that area. Did you see that? Mark tells us in his account of this episode, he tells us that these guys, because of the demon possession, have superhuman strength. That they break chains asunder. And so we can only posit that every once in a while, a whole group of people tries to put chains on them. But once they leave, they just bust the chains off. They're strong. Mark goes on to tell us they not only do violence against other people. They, in fact, do violence against themselves. They cut themselves, he says, with sharp stones. Perhaps that would be informative on an enemy that wants to fuel self-harm, right? They cut themselves. Very, very eerie scene. Now, let's just use a little sanctified imagination here. They've been in the boat all night, right? Went through a crisis. Jesus delivers them. Probably early morning, perhaps still dark, perhaps foggy. In groggy fashion, they're trekking up that steep hill, having just landed at the shore of the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And suddenly, this dawn, solitude and silence, is pierced by some primal screams. Two men running at them out of the tomb area. And as they get closer, perhaps under the moonlight, they can see, whoa, they're not even dressed. They're naked. And perhaps they can see dirty, matted hair and coagulated blood and festering wounds. And they get a downwith drift of them. They have a putrid scent about them. This is an eerie scene. This is a scary scene. If you were there, you would be scared. There's a confrontation. Now, once they, once they make contact, they are going to ask now three questions, these demons of Jesus. These questions reveal that they have a level of recognition of Jesus that we ourselves ought to have. I mentioned it by way of scripture reading. Again, question one, verse 29, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? They recognize at some level that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the eighth time in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus is called the Son of God by somebody. The ninth time will be in Matthew 27. To that I will reference in a, make a reference to in a few minutes. But they recognize who he is to some extent, right? Question two. They say, have you come here to torment us before the time? They know these demons do that the, their demise is coming, don't they? Have you come to torment us before the time? Now I would say that's some fairly good theology, wouldn't you? There's some level of understanding of who Jesus is, some level of understanding of what he's going to do. 
Now, we know from the rest of Scripture that there is no hope for the fallen angelic realm demons ever to be redeemed. But, but I think it is a reminder here that good theology alone will not save you. Hmm? Perhaps James was thinking of this very thing when he wrote in James 2.19, you believe that there's one God? Kind of he paraphrased, woohoo, big deal. The demons also believe and they tremble, right? Because they're not redeemed. They've never really trusted him. They can't. But you can. You understand who he is. Well, how about question three? Actually, not a question again, a declaration, a request. They see uh, a whole bunch of pigs feeding at some distance from him. Verse 30, verse 31 now. They begged him saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. Now that is... A rather odd request, isn't it? Certain ironic humor to that. Unclean spirits requesting to go into Jewish unclean animals, right? But you ought to ask yourself, read the Bible, ask questions like, why? Why is that going on? Why pigs? Somebody says, because they're in a Gentile area. Okay, let's, what if they were in, we're just positing, a Jewish area? Why would they say an animal, say a sheep? But here, why an animal? What is that all about? We don't really know the answer, but we can conjecture. And perhaps they're thinking, man, if we can get inside those pigs and destroy the pigs, we can arouse more opposition, which is starting now to brew, against Jesus, which is kind of how it plays out, right? Now, we're going to see Jesus has the upper hand on that. But what is clear is they not only recognize who he is, son of God, what he is going to do their demise, they recognize that right there he has power, don't they? If, you, if you're going to cast us out, at least cast us into the pigs. So those three questions get, just get this confrontation going all the more. Now, verse 32, we're going to look at a very strange exorcism. A very strange exorcism. Jesus is going to flex his power just like that over the demonic realm when you read in verse 32 and he said to them, why don't you say it with me? Because this is all he said. What did he say? Go! And just like that, there is a whole lot of deviled ham. I, and that's not my joke, so if you didn't laugh, I read it somewhere. <laughs> Mine are a lot better, you know that. But just like that, there's a lot of deviled ham. Mark tells us that it actually was a legion of demons that were possessing just two human beings. A legion was a, a designation for a Roman military unit when they were at TO or Table of Organization, it would be 4,200, but usually anywhere from three to 6,000 soldiers in a military, a Roman military legion. So he's saying there is thousands of, 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 of demons inside these guys. Mark also tells us how many are in this herd of swine, some 2,000 pigs. So three to 6,000 demons at Jesus' command go into uh, 2,000 pigs. Now can you just, this is kind of a crazy scene, just this herd coming down the steep bank. You can hear them grunting as they're running by them, right? And then plunk, splash, plunk, splash, 2,000 of them. It is quite a scene, a memorable scene. And I believe that the plunge of these pigs 
into the Sea of Galilee prefigures the eternal plunge of the demons themselves into what the book of Revelation calls the abyss or the bottomless pit. What Jesus himself called in Matthew 25, we will see that in a few later chapters. Evil is real, but evil is going to have its last day. The end of evil is coming. I'm so glad about that. We were on outreach yesterday. Some came across with some terrible things happening. I'm glad that's coming because when Jesus Christ returns on his white horse, baby, he is going to wreck shop on all evil. And then he is going to wipe away every single tear as he makes all things new. Hallelujah is right. And all of that in the second coming based on what he accomplished in his first coming. Do you remember how we just noted question one, the demons call him the son of God? And I said that was the eighth of nine times in the gospel of Matthew. The ninth time is Matthew 27. Jesus is up on the cross. People are passing by, mocking him. The text says wagging their heads at him. They say, saying stuff like, hey, you who said you would destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from that cross. But I would say precisely because he is the son of God, he did not come down from the cross. Because there he hung to pay the penalty for our sin. So that we could be forgiven, saved, and brought into right relationship with our creator. As proven by his resurrection from the dead. But here's an aspect of the cross that maybe we don't think about enough. Jesus did that not just to redeem his people, but to break the back of the devil. To destroy the works of the devil. That's what John says in 1 John when he says, For this reason, the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. We all hear lots of sermons, right? Sometimes you ask me, what did you preach on last week? I was like, let me think for a second, okay? Now that's me, the preacher. How much of you, perhaps more? But I remember in the first year of this church, the first year of this ministry, this building looked nothing like this. That's really true, right? <laughs> David Sitton, do you remember him being here? The handful of you that were part of us? Led a, led a great missionary organization. He preached such a strong message on missions, and for this reason the Son of God appeared to, to destroy the works of the devil. He talked about encounters. That's why Jesus came. One of the aspects of the cross, that is. Does not Paul say that in Colossians 2.15? What does he say? He disarmed rulers and authorities, demons, demonic realms, putting them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross, I think is the referent right there in Colossians 2. This is really sweet news. But I'm sure that there, sometimes there are people who are offended. Maybe, are you, anybody here a peta person? I don't want to be unnecessarily offensive. I think we ought to be very <laughs> ethical with animals, okay? Peter, Peter, Peta. See, that's, I'm obviously not a card-carrying member here, okay? But you ought to be ethical. Proverbs talks about that, right? Be ethical with your animals. Take care of Fido. Take care of your cat. If you're deer hunting, make sure it's a boiler maker shot. All that. Okay, all right. 
But there's a difference between worshiping the creation and the creator. And it's funny the things that people say about texts like this. And it, it, it's almost like I even have to say this, but there are people say, how could, how could Jesus, you know, require, how could God allow 2,000 imperfect pigs to be destroyed in order to deliver these two men? If that shocking to you, I hope this is all the more shocking, that God orchestrated the crucifixion of the perfect Lamb of God, his son, Jesus Christ, that you and I might be delivered. And Luke beautifully tells us, gives us a picture of this when he tells the story of this, of, this, of this event. Luke says that after the demons are cast out in this strange kind of exorcism, did anybody remember the description from the Gospel of Luke? Number one, he says, they're clothed. They're clothed. Nakedness is not inherently sinful, Right? In marriage, it's a great gift. But all this nakedness outside the hearth or fireplace of marriage is very, very much energized by the evil one. He's clothed. He's in his right mind, Luke says. But he's not just kind of cleaned up as if it's some kind of cleanup project. He gives us this third brushstroke, sitting at the feet of whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And when that happens, you have a worshiper. You have a follower of Jesus Christ who wants to worship him. Are you such a person? I'm not asking you if you can check a theological box. I'm asking you, are you a worshiper of Jesus Christ? Because hell's full of people who prayed the sinner's prayer. Devil wants to destroy people with bad theology and good theology just up here. Have you ever truly repented and trusted in Jesus? And is that not change? Is that changing you? Is that changing you? The Bible says that Jesus gave this invitation: "Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest." He'll do that. But the Scripture is very clear that until you do that. You are still, Ephesians 2, dead in your faith. You're still following the course of this world, and very uh, particular to this text, you are still following the prince of the power of the air. Now what's interesting, I think, very interesting, very encouraging, is, do you, do you, let me ask you a question, do you see any evidence in, 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 this, in this story, in this miracle of the man saying, trying to hand signal, I got demons in front of me, but the men themselves saying, Jesus, would you free me? Would you deliver me from this demonic oppression? Do you see any evidence of that? Any evidence at all? You go to Matthew, you won't see that. Here, Mark, you won't see it. And yet, what does he say? Go! And he frees them. This is a gracious and glorious reminder that God is the initiator and author of our salvation. Which means if you're here and you're like, oh, I, I'm, I'm thinking about turning my life over to Jesus. I'm, I, I want to trust that he died for me on the cross and I want to follow the risen Christ. If, if that's happening in you, you know, that's owing to God first working in you. So whoever you are, I just say, lean into that and collapse at his feet. He's a savior. 
Now, I want to go back to something. Remember I said there was another reason I think we need to reconsider this idea that demonic activity doesn't happen here like it does other places. Remember me, me, me uh, mentioning that a while ago? Too long ago, actually. Uh, so we got to get racing. I, I just want to suggest um, some ways that we might see some demonic activity if we would just have eyes to see it. Okay? Came across, uh, I came across, I'm always getting sent, sent podcasts. Uh, so this is not a book I've read, okay, but I've listened to one podcast, several people sent it to me, and then I listened to two or three others, and then another fourth one, about a book called The Gods Have Returned. Anybody heard of that book? Or there's many, it's, it's a lot of people talking about it right now, but it's called The Gods Have Returned. And, and the idea is this. Let me just say this about the, the guy. He, he's, he's got some pretty janky associations. Um, from one of the podcasts, he stretches things too far. Uh, he's a Messianic rabbi with a, a congregation in uh, New Jersey, I believe. But it seems there is some biblical warrant to his main premise, namely that when people turn away from the true and living God, other or old gods move in and take his place on the altar of their hearts, individual and corporately. I think there might be something to that. Now, of course, as Christians, we know there are how many true, how many gods actually? One true and living God, right? And we know, however, that behind what we call gods, humans call gods, behind what we treat as gods sometimes, there are actual demons. You find this in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 16 and 17, Hebrew parallelism. They stirred him, that's Yahweh, the true and living God, to jealousy with strange gods. Next line, they sacrificed to demons that were no gods. So as they were stirring him to jealousy with strange gods, they were actually serving demons. Is not that what Paul says in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20? He says what pagans sacrifice, and he's referring now to idols. He says what pagans sacrifice, they offer to Demons, what they sacrifice to idols, they actually offer to demons. You remember, well, you will see this probably in the next few months in Matthew chapter 7. Remember the story Jesus told? It was a parable. He talked about a man who had an unclean spirit. What's an unclean spirit? It's a demon. And the unclean spirit leaves him, but when the unclean spirit comes back, sees his house, again, it's, it's a parable, empty, he comes back, and it, the text says, Jesus told the story, he brings seven more spirits, more evil than he is, so that the state of the man is worse then than it was in the past. You remember that? Matthew chapter 12. Unless we, you think he's just talking about an individual, Jesus goes on to say, so shall it be with, now listen, so shall it be with this evil generation. Generation is a word that it can, sometimes can be a, a larger junk drawer term for a group of people. So I do think that the principle holds that as a group of people turn their back on the living God, other or old gods come in, namely the demons themselves. Does that make sense? So as I'm just listening, working, cleaning up my office, listening to the first time I listened to that podcast, I, here's what I thought. I thought of Germany 
Germany was the, heart, was the hotbed for the Reformation, right? It's the heart of the Reformation. You had Luther and the five solas. We're going to do a series on the solas in October. I mean, it's a hotbed of Reformation truth, recovering the gospel from the darkness of Roman paganism and all that, all right? But then, a few centuries later, Germany actually became a hotbed for Nazi ideology. And you ask yourself, how, how did that happen? And, 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 and by the way, um, one of the, it just happened in the gyms uh, the other day, one of the things that people use against Christianity, right, is they will say, well, so-and-so, they were Christians, and they did this, right? Do you remember, um, we got sound effects going here, too. Time, five seconds earlier would have been better, but next time, though. I thought we were having a fireworks session. Like, these guys are really calm. They're just sitting here. Praise God. Um, let me get back on track here. Okay, all right. <laughs> that usually doesn't happen to me, but I'm smart as I look, so bear with me. So people call, Christ, uh, they, they will debunk Christianity by saying, well, Christians did this, or so-and-so was a Christian. So Because Hit- Hitler publicly claimed to be a Christian. But behind the scenes, Hitler called biblical Christianity, you, you can read this, superstition. And do you know that he was a proponent of what we would call progressive Christianity today? Somebody just preached on that in the conference we had. He, pr- he promoted a kind of Christianity that went under the formal title positive Christianity. And just like progressive Christianity, they retool Jesus and his purpose. They say Jesus was not God. And he was an Aryan social justice warrior trying to promote the Aryan race. And by the way, concurrent to that, here's the premise. Hitler and others went back to worshiping old Nordic and Germanic gods. And if you look at Nazi imagery, both in their logos and their writing, it is laced through with that pagan stuff. One form is called Odinism after the pagan god Odin. Now, now here's, the, here's the point I was thinking coming in. As Germany moved away from the true living God, not all Germany, but obviously a, a sizable chunk, people in power, other gods returned, right? And what they did is, demons, who took their ethnic superiority and their ethnic hatred to the next level, like next depraved level, right? Atrocious, horrific, barbaric level, to the tune of the 6 million Jewish people less than a century ago, 80 years ago now, right? Gassed to their death and others. And by the way, I would just add, maybe, maybe today, as an ungodly response, as an ungodly response to what, I believe, if you understand it, is the ungodly teaching of wokeism. There is, as, a, as, a, as an ungodly response to that, you will find there is an uptick in racial ideologies and racist groups. And we've got we to be willing to say that, right? Now, sadly, everything today is, is carte blanche labeled white supremacy. And that's not the point, right? Like even the Smithsonian said, punctuality is racist. A work ethic, is, even mathematics is racist. That's the soft bigotry of, of low expectations right there. But, but just because it's used and, mis- and, 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 and mischaracterized and all that 
there is such a thing, right? And there is an uptick in it going on. We need to be aware of that. Obviously, right here with white supremacy, I'm speaking to my white brothers and sisters, but I would speak to uh, my other brothers and sisters. Let's not buy into the thing that only a certain group of people can be prejudiced or racist, right? Their ethnic uh, hostility and race, racist uh, hate in every people group. You have black people, you have white. You, you've done any witnesses you come across them. Every group has that. But the point is, Germany, I think, is an illustration of that concept. But now the author of this book argues that is happening in America. Y'all with me? Uh, let, let, I got to quickly hit something here, too. There's two views in America, on America, that are, that are both wrong, okay, on our history. One view says this. One view says America is the perfect pre-heavenly heaven utopia, right? Right? And another view says America was built on nothing but slavery and taking over indigenous peoples. Now, both of those just need to actually do a real history, okay? Just do a real history. Some people say, all good. The city on a shining hill with no sin. And others, nothing but a city of darkness. You should, by the way, you should listen to Brian Evans' message on social justice versus biblical justice from the conference we just did because he, he hits that. Now, the truth is neither. And the truth is, while certainly not all of our founding fathers were Christian, many of them were deists, Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, and the like, our country was founded on the idea of a Judeo-Christian ethic rooted in the understanding there is one true living God. And we could give evidence for that among many things that of, of the infusion of the Mosaic code, that code into the law of the laws of our land to this day. Now, while certainly not walked out consistently in times very hypocritically, our founding on the idea of one true living God, coupled with the presence of real deal, actual Christians along the way, is why we as a nation have been able to turn on some previous injustices and evils that many countries have been around a lot longer that actually helped us with these evils and injustices are still themselves practicing. Just trying to give that framework because the author argues that the last 60-ish years, with that as an understanding, America has increasingly stepped away from the worship of the one true living God. And that in its place, other gods have returned and specifically, he mentions the three pagan gods that Israel worshipped as they turned away from the true living God. Baal, Asherah, and Molech. Now, I don't have time to go through Baal, but let me just, there's some parallels that are chilling here. That There is some merit to the idea that as that the same demons that afflicted Israel, we are not Israel, I'm not saying that at all, we're really clear on that, okay? But we, we make application. That the same demons that afflicted Israel as they turned away from the true living God, maybe some of the de same demons fueling our further spiral into, into Romans 1 downward depravity. So let me hit Asherah. Asherah was a sex goddess. She's all, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll come across her many times. She's called Aphrodite's in Greece, Venus in Rome. She's depicted, archaeologists have found, like statues and, and uh, images of her in very sexualized ways, Asherah. Usually with female parts, but sometimes with male parts. 
You may remember, you probably don't, uh, but when I was going through 1 Corinthians 7, I mentioned the cult prostitutes that would cross-dress and do all kinds of, of terrible things in the worship of this goddess. Ancient inscriptions have been uncovered about her that, where she says, I am a woman, I am a man. Another one said, he has, she has the power to turn men into women. We know that Israel built high places to this goddess, right? They're called Asherim or groves, the high places, where I won't go into any detail about the history of this. Very unseemly stuff happened. Do you remember in Gideon? Do you remember in, in uh, the book of Judges? Judges is so real. Gideon destroys the altar to Baal and cuts down the Asherim, these high places where they would worship Asherim and all those terrible acts. And what does Israel say? Thank you so much for doing that. They go to his dad, Joash, and say, hey, bring that young punk of yours outside because we're going to kill him for doing that and that. Hmm. Hmm. Think about the last 60 years in our country. Some would say that the sexual revolution of the 1960s was the most uh, damaging decade culturally in the history of our country. Now, he here's, here's a no surprise. People have always had relations outside of marriage, okay? That's always happened, all right? But this mainstreamed it. It's what I grew up in. Many of you, you guys grew up in it too. I mean, there's really no shame outside of marriage anymore in most places. So that became mainstream. Guess what became mainstream next? Guess what became mainstream? Homosexuality. And what's now becoming mainstream? I'm a woman, I'm a man. Transgenderism. And if you speak out against any of this, people will be just as mad at you as the Israelites were against Gideon for tearing that stuff down. Now i got to fast forward because I've gone way too long. Let, let, let's go to Molech. Molech was a Phoenician god worshippers would sacrifice their children to in hopes of prosperity from this Phoenician god. God forbid that. Leviticus 18, you shall not sacrifice your children to the gods. For I am the name, for I am the Lord your God, you shall not profane my name. Psalm 106, you just read that in great detail, I don't have time. These were giant statues they would build, bronze statues of a man's body with a bull's head, sometimes with a hole in the middle of it, sometimes with outstretched arms. They'd either put a fire inside of it or in front of it, and they would place their babies inside it or on their arms and let them cook to death in hopes of prosperity from the gods. The child sacrifice is not just there. It happened among the Aztecs, the Incas, ancient uh, civilization, South Central America, but you know also in Europe as well, the Druids, the Druids practiced sac child sacrifice. And today... Millions in America are being sacrificed. Babies are being aborted, killed unjustly, right, for the God of convenience or inconvenience or prosperity or whatever the case may be. So don't, don't say, well, you're just trying to talk about a right-wing talking point. No, this is a Bible thing. Forget the platform. I care what the Bible has to say. And this is an ongoing holocaust which disproportionately affects people of color. 
You know that, right? Yeah. Herod had his Planned Parenthood clinic. Why are they in so many in inner cities? Tell me that. Tell me. Read about Margaret Sanger. I just don't believe it's a stretch to say that behind the increasing deification of sexual perversion and abortion are the same demonic forces that took such sins to the next level in the past. When God is turned from, other gods and demons step in. So yeah, there's demonic activity on the individual level, on on larger community and national levels. Now the good news is, Jesus Christ destroyed demonic, demonic dominion. And that's why, as we square up with the evils of racism, as we square up with the evils of sexual perversion, as we square up with the evils of abortion, what we must keep at the forefront is proclaiming the gospel. Because it's, the, it's Jesus Christ who destroys demonic dominion. And I had a big quote, I'm not going to share it, but just to use um, Nehemiah's imagery when they're rebuilding the wall, what do they have in one hand? And what do they have in the other hand? Trowel. So they have a trial. We're building up the church because the church is being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, coated with just enough Bible to make it seem palatable and sound compassionate when it is the farthest thing from it. So we build up the church, but boy, we reach out with the gospel, right? We're reaching out, going into the kingdom of darkness for he who is the son of God. Well, I close here with the reaction in heaven. Verse 33. Praise God as there would be people delivered. These two demoniacs were delivered. We look at one. Now look at verse 33. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Now, if you didn't know what verse 34 is, you'd be really surprised by what happens after that. Wouldn't you? They find out (laughs) these guys have been delivered from demon possession. You would think they would have a party. They would have a celebration. They would have a worship service. They'd be praising the living God for his redemption. But no, no, this is what they do. All the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, get away. Please. They begged him to leave the region. They're more concerned about the loss of income. Oh, we might lose more pigs, maybe they're thinking, right? Rather than... These men have been set free. They're back with their families. They're healthy. They're walking with God. It's a shame. And they even made the community safer by this. But they do not want the status quo to be broken. So it's get away, Jesus. And it will be also get away, Jesus, right? We can think things are so bad here, can't we? We think it's bad. It's a great opportunity to be a Christian. It's a great time to live in the Lord. It's a great time to preach the gospel. I want to remind you that first century Rome was rank with paganism. Homosexuality was mainstream. Pedophilia was even accepted. Christians were burned as human candles. And in that evil context, Paul preached the gospel, right? And there were two responses. Two responses in the church of Ephesus, in Ephesus. Some people, it says, 
feared the Lord, Acts chapter 18. As Jesus was extolled, people came to the Lord. People are saved. They're baptized. A church is formed. And what's more, people who had professed Christ but were kind of dabbling in darkness, they burn all their books, it says, in the old version of Curious Art, magic, pagan, demonic, occultic stuff. Six, I, I looked it up, six million dollars worth. Six million billion. Both large. One bigger than the other. I get it. But a lot of money. And they even shut down the silver shrine prayed by uh, worshiping Artemis. I mean, they got mad. There is a, they, they were mad, which was the other reaction to them. There was rioting against them. They had to hustle them out of the city before they killed them, right? You remember that? Which is what I preached on just a few weeks ago at Mystic Church. you got to be willing to stink to some to salvifically smell good to others. To one you will be the aroma of death. The stink of death. But to the other you'll be the aroma of life. Paul says, be sufficient for these things. But I'm not going to be like other peddlers of God's word. There's so much peddling of God's word going on right now. Let's not be peddlers of God's word. God has a people for his name that he will save. So let's be willing to take the the mistreatment the rejection for being faithful to the gospel and truth, knowing that's good for our community, that's good for our church, and it ultimately brings glory to God. Jesus Christ destroys demonic dominion, both now and fully and finally forever at his return. Amen? All right, as the music team would come, we are going to celebrate communion This reminds us that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed, as I mentioned many times in this message, not just so that we can be reconciled back to the Father, but also so the power of the enemy could be broken in our lives and in our hearts. I wonder if you would be among those people who profess Christ, but the reality is you've you've been given foothold to some darkness, some occultic stuff. You might call it occultic, but it really is dark and demonic. You need to burn some of those things, whether they be tactile things like actual books, or you need to burn those thoughts that are other worldviews that are divorced from the Word of God. The Bible is clear. God's way is clear. Why don't we uh, have you all just come this way? Music team will play some music in the background. You can just uh, form up in this aisle right here. You can grab your bread. Uh, The smaller bowl is wine, the larger bowl is juice. Uh, If you can cup it over your hand, and then we will go ahead and partake together. So go ahead, line up and come through and get the elements so you can celebrate communion.